This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. So first up, uh, a well, both of them are veterans. Um, a guy you see weekly on the O Show, more than we well. How often is it on now, Lauren? I don't have cable. I wish I could tell you. How often do you record? <laughs> I, uh, we we do the show once a week, but I think they they air the hell out of it. Yeah. So you can see the Lauren Lieberman is that voice, by the way, of the O Show uh, on cable fourteen. Uh, seen 47 times a week. Possibly. Something like yeah. that. Uh, and next to him, a, uh, a very familiar name and voice from the community, a man who uh, does an awful lot of things in this city in a lot of ways. He is also the person behind Fox 40 Whistles and Fluke Transport, and I don't even know all the other businesses that he does. Ron Foxcroft, thanks for coming in. Great to be here. And you know what we should do with the enormous appearance fee that Lauren is getting? Yes. We should sign him up for cable. What do you think? He's got the radio voice. It's it's not an option where I live. I can't get it. You can't get cable. They don't offer it where... Oh, you're you're deprived. He's got got a little hut right beside the Unabomber out in the middle of the woods. It's not a hut. It's a tree house. (laughs) Well, then can't we get one of the cable companies to run a special line for you? You would think. I would think so. You're Lorne Lieberman. Right. Radio voice. Thank thank you for your support. (laughs) Well, since you do the O Show, which often talks about city issues as well mm-hmm. as other things, and Ron, since you know the city well, let me go to this right mm-hmm. off the bat. Today. Let's start in here in Hamilton because there was something that came up. Andrew Dreschel wrote about it in the paper today. Uh, it was something that's happened a couple times over the last little while, and it's a city council issue. Andrew was taking the position because Donna Skelly was raising some questions about housing and money and how the city is spending money and other things. And it turned into a bit of a smackdown. This was a couple weeks ago. And Andrew raised the question, well, he raised the question of whether or not this was a sexist thing. And Donna Skelly, I think to her credit, said, no, I don't think it's that. It's just, you know, other stuff going on. But what I want to know is when I hear criticism of people, I hear it often now, people criticizing when people question expenses on council. Shouldn't, isn't this the kind of thing we should be applauding? Whether you like the counselor, don't like the counselor, when a counselor who is looking after public money is questioning every expense, is that not a good thing, Lauren? We as Hamiltonians err all the time and don't listen and comment on what was said. We focus on how it was said and who said it. And Donna is um, not very popular on social media, which everyone knows skews to the left. Um, and the and most, she skews to the right. Absolutely. And those who are the most vocal, uh, and I'm talking about the social media world and, th- and that kind of thing, um, are, are absolutely vicious to her. But in terms of her fellow counselors, th- you, you got to wonder um, why she didn't get the memo. You can't question things that city councilors are the board members of. Who is supposed to have the fiduciary duty other than the guy sitting beside you? So don't bust his chops and go along to get along. Would would this have... Okay, let's stick with this for just a second because, Ron, it seems as though we, we're a city that has no money. We're scrounging for dimes when it comes to the budget every year. We can't fix our roads. Barton Street is always, or Burlington Street is always listed as the worst street in Canada. Right. We've got a three-point-something billion-dollar infrastructure deficit. Should we not be expecting... Counselors, every single thing that comes in front of them on the balance sheet to be saying, okay, please explain what this is before I sign off. I respect that a lot. And let me tell you how I see it, the difference between private sector 
and public sector. And, and first of all, uh, the comments uh, towards Donna, uh, I'm glad she said that. They were not sexist. They, 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 they were, were mean. They, they, they were, were harsh. They, they were, but they, they weren't sexist. And I'm sure if it went from person A to person B, whether they're a male or female, it still came out the same. But um, in the, too much in the public sector, our government is too big. Not, not necessarily Hamilton, but our provincial government, our federal government. And I contend right now that if you cut the size of government, the bureaucrats, by 20%, nothing bad would happen. Nothing bad would happen because what we need is we need more revenue, but we need less cost. And I respect the councillors for questioning every dollar that's on that uh, balance sheet. Now, the difference between a private sector board and a public sector board, if Lauren and I are on the board together and we have a robust disagreement, before I go into the meeting, I'm going to talk to Lauren and say, Lauren, we're having a robust disagreement here and I want you to know up front that I'm going to take a different position than you. Because in boards, I sit on a lot of boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't like surprises. You don't like surprises. So I think Donna is a, a terrific counselor. We have a good council. We have a really good council. Individually, they all have the same thing, Scott. They have a great passion and a commitment for our city. Sometimes when it falls astray, it falls astray because there isn't a lot of chemistry in the room between them. But that's how we do it in the private sector. And I never go into a board meeting without, if Lauren's there well, and saying, and Lauren, I disagree with you. I think that's the point because Donna is the only counselor that read the audit on Hamilton Housing. And, and that was clear. Yeah. And she did not let her fellow counselors know, um, especially those who sit on the board of Hamilton Housing, that she had some questions. So it was a delivery problem as much as it was raising the issue. I don't have a problem with Donna, what she was wearing, how she said it, any of that. The question is, why would you be giving tens of millions of dollars to an organization that can't make sense of itself? That was essentially Donna's point. It's a really good point. Yeah, and and Lauren, if you and I had that dialogue on a private board, I'm sure you would come to me before going public. That is the gentlemanly thing to do. Yeah, and, and that's why the term old boys club or the club, that that's why that comes out, Scott. But, uh, and, and look, there are people who have said that's, that was the issue here, that she surprised them and therefore that was the issue. But I, I do wonder, Lauren brings up an interesting point too because, and Andrew raised it in his piece today, that Donna and Lloyd Ferguson tend to lean right on a council that tends to lean a little bit to the left. If this had been Councillor X, one of the other ones who was a little more left-leaning, would the criticism have been as vigorous from around the so table? So you're not going to go after... Matt so the exact same thing. And, and if it done, came from Matt Green, you're not going to attack Matt Green because the blowback that'll come back at you is not worth it. But beating up on Donna because she's a conservative, because she has stuck her nose uh, inappropriately a few times, that's fine. You can beat up on Donna. Absolutely. Different standards. And it's not a sexist thing. It's a political bent thing. But again, let me go back to the, and, and I, I, I tend to agree with what you say, but let me go back to the very beginning here. Should we not be expecting, rather than 
rather than these things being unique situations that we talk about, because they don't come up all that often when a counselor or counselors get into these discussions, it doesn't seem, should we not expect that every line pretty much on the, or when these big purchases come up or big expenses that we're expecting, this is the default position for counsel? We'd expect that in the private sector. And I'll tell you the difference between... And they'll argue they do, by the way. They'll argue they do, and that's fine. Okay, all right, and they probably do. Donna's very capable, and and Donna has, uh, she's uh, tremendous at communications. There's just no question about that. And probably there's a little quiet jealousy towards Donna because she's such a tremendous uh, communicator coming from the world of of journalism. Right. And and I think sometimes there there could be, I'm not saying there is, that there might be a little bit of jealousy towards her enormous, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, communication skills. But no, um, I think that we need to question any big purchase. And I think we need to. One of the problems that I see is these people are overworked. They're, they're on like numerous committees. And I don't know about you, but I'm only capable of sitting on two or three committees at the same time. But if I look at these committees, I mean, they're on uh, the dozens of committees. And one of the things that, that I like in board members is people that go into a board meeting prepared. Mm-hmm. And it appears to me that Donna does go in prepared. Now, Frugal Ferguson, he he gets labeled Frugal Ferguson. Good for him. Good for him. I don't see that as a bad thing these days. No, that's a great thing. He reads the material before going in. And I think that's part of the, the situation here is Donna probably read every word in that report and others didn't. And we're surprised. Now, by the same token, when I sit on boards, I don't like surprises. And, and I, as I just repeated right. here, if, I, if I'm going to go in public uh, on, in, in electronic media on the Scott Radley show. No room for gotcha. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to tell Lauren, Lauren, you're full of it. I disagree with you. Uh, we're going to have a robust discussion. And I don't want you surprised because I respect you. Right. There's one other thing, though, that was at play in this one, and I do wonder about this as well. The There are certain projects, certain areas that seem to be sacrosanct that you are not allowed. And poverty, and look, nobody, nobody is arguing that we want people living in poverty. Poverty is something we want to deal with. But if you, this was a poverty project, and to question it makes it sound, somehow it gets positioned that you are for poverty or against people pulling themselves up. And there are labels that get attached to projects. And so if it's a poverty thing, well, it's got to pass. What, does, it, does it make sense? I don't know, but it's got to pass. It's poverty. I have a lot of issues with the, in my opinion, haphazard way that the mayor brought that forward and what we are doing in regards to our poverty initiative. That is absolutely wonderful. What is it, $50 million? Yeah. Okay. I have yet to read and understand how that $50 million is being allocated to be able to leverage the maximum matching funds of provincial and federal for the most impact, not for the most I can say that I am doing what I can against poverty. I really think that the the impetus was there of something good, but it, it, it didn't get maximum value. It didn't have the most thought. Not that long ago, Brian McHattie was the king of Hamilton housing. And his chest was full of medals on how wonderful our housing was. Then Chad took over once he ran for mayor, lost, and got out of town. 
and the story changed entirely. Hamilton housing's upside down. It's terrible. The units need replenishing, replacing. Everything's a disaster. Well, okay, what happened to the stories of the five to ten years before that? And now we're learning that they can't make sense of how to run their own operations and how to report on things. It it really begs the question that Donna asked. Do they warrant $20, 30000000 million? Can I jump in Please on that? Please do. Because there's a revenue problem here. We, we have a revenue shortage in, in Hamilton. And therefore, with a revenue shortage, we better be looking at the expenses the way everybody else does in the business. Not just, I'm not saying they do this, but not just moving money from one account to the other. Because in our business, we haven't got that other mm-hmm. account to move it over. I'll tell you, Scott, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this, something that's really concerning me. Uh, 89% of our city revenue tax base comes from housing, mm-hmm. house taxes, yours and yours and everybody else. Mm-hmm. 89%, that means 11% assessment comes from businesses. Do you know how many houses you need to create the revenue assessment, tax assessment that a DeFasco would mm-hmm. create a Maple Leaf Foods, an Amazon, uh, Hamilton Airport. Well, yeah, yeah the Amazon. I, <laughs> I hope we talked about that. Uh, you know what? Everybody's criticizing the city for bidding on Amazon. Maybe you are too, Lauren. No chance. But what I'm saying is this: it's not coming to Canada because Trump will never let it come to Canada. It makes no sense, Ron, for it to come to Canada. Everything would have to clear customs to then go clear customs. However, I'm going to say something that that you you guys may disagree. Uh, if we could get some uh, provincial money to help with this bid, now we've got two things. We've got a template, template bid for future bids, terrific, at, at an affordable price, providing we can get uh, uh, some money from the province. The other thing we've got is we're, and I just spoke at the International Economic Development Conference, 1,300 economic professionals. And our Hamilton Active were there too. And what you've got is a message to the world, we're open for business. Now, it may not be for Google or Amazon, but it it. may be somebody else. Sure. Did you see the video that our mayor made? Hello, Amazon, standing in Sam Lawrence Park, shot on a cell phone, wind blowing in his face. It, It was pathetic. It didn't scream high impact or uh, look, we're we're doing a ton. And I talked to him that that day that that was out and, you know, it was obviously put together as fast as possible just to get it up and to get it out there. The problem with YouTube, the problem with social media now, the problem with these things is you do something like that and that particular day that it goes up, you go, okay, we're first up and we're showing how interested, but it stays Mm. there then. And see, I didn't have a problem, Lauren, with him doing that the first day. Hey, let's just do a quick thing and let's get it out there. Hey, we're, we're here. The problem is you don't then get, you, you can't sort out four weeks later when it's still up online that that was done for a specific purpose of just being first and getting your name out there. And now right. it looks cheap. Right. Right. At right. the beginning, it was good, but as it lingers, it was good-ish. Mm. And now as it lingers, it looks less and less so until you can replace it with something. But... I just want to go back quickly. We only have a second here. The The fact that all this anger about the housing mm. on council, was this partly because when you put the word poverty in front of it, it's not even just who the councillor is who's arguing. It is an untouchable topic that if the word poverty precedes the issue, you cannot criticize it. Scott, and that becomes a second issue. It's like criticizing grandma's apple pie. 
you go to grandma's house with your kids, and whether they like it or not, <laughs> what do you it. tell them? You better tell grandma I like her apple pie. <laughs> and so to Lauren's point, yes, we do want to help the people. The $50 million could be great, but it seems as though you're not really supposed to question that $50 million. Just sign off on it and say, hey, this is going to help the poor. That, that, that's the implication that it seems to me. That's how it sounds to and me. And to criticize the implementation of the $50 million, it has nothing to do with not supporting trying to eradicate poverty. But that's how it sounds. That's well, how it's portrayed. Not everyone is that simple. No, clearly, the perception is that if you criticize this, you're criticizing helping people. Right, because when you're Donna Scallion run for the conservatives, clearly you don't care about poverty issues. Because it's a really black and white world. Yeah. Well, so so basically what we're saying is ugh. that Councillor Skelly, being herself and stepping into this one, found this this perfect storms, as it were, of issues and name brand and branding and everything else that made her easy to be. This is the way I saw it. I saw it this way. It's 50 million bucks. And I think she just simply asked the question, maybe by being innovative and smart here, we can cut that down to 44 mil. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's the way we do it. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Gentlemen, I want to read you something, or at least allude to something, that was a story in the Wall Street Journal today, which uh, I read this. I read it twice uh, because I was so stunned when I read this that high schools down in the States, maybe I should have been stunned by this, to be honest with you. Uh, It seems like it's moving along in that direction in a lot of ways. High schools, many high schools in the United States with long traditions of... Friday night lights and valedictorians and king and queen of the prom and all those kind of things. Uh, valedictorians are now a thing of the past. We don't want to identify or isolate or reward just one person because it makes everyone else feel badly. So they have decided, many of them, that if you reach, a, a lot of these schools, if you reach a certain grade point average, we're calling you a valedictorian. So one high school in the States had 178 valedictorians this year. And I'm looking at this thinking, you know, I understand kind of the idea that we don't want to isolate you if you're at the bottom end of success, all right? If you were one of the people who failed your courses, even though I think you should redo your school year, we don't do that anymore, but that I could see. This seems to me, Ron, to be penalizing those who have worked hard, who have succeeded, who have put the time in, who have studied, who have sacrificed their social life, maybe didn't go out to parties on Friday night because they wanted to do well in school, and they get to be the top of their class, and their classmates say, Ron, you know what? You're the guy who represents us, and the school says, oh, but that'll make everyone else feel sad, so you can't have that honor anymore. This seems the complete wrong decision to me. I love it when someone gets chosen to be the valedictorian. Well, you're going to say you love this. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not because they got 99% academically. I understand there's there's other criteria to choose the valedictorian. And um, it's, uh, you know, communication, commitment, uh, sacrifice. Uh, they probably get chosen because uh, they had to overcome some adversity and so on. I don't think it's just now we should get someone from the academic world to, to uh, clarify that. But I, I think that that's ridiculous. Uh, uh, I mean, what are we out for? We're out to achieve, and this this person. That's what you want from and school, right? You know right? what you've got in most cases, and I've been to a lot of graduations, and I didn't speak as a uh, valedictorian. I spoke as an unpaid, cheap guest speaker at a, at a graduation. And you know what I saw? I saw someone get chosen as the valedictorian for many reasons. And 
all the students they're supporting. Right. And that's what it's all about. There's no better feeling than winning as a team. And uh, every one that I've seen is they've, they've supported the valedictorian and everybody seems happy. So what do they want? They want 163 valedictorians well, or none. Oh, basically, it's none because they're not going to have a person identified because that's elitist and that sets them aside and that makes everyone else feel bad. No, Warren. it's not elite. It's it's it's, uh, it's I, achieving. I think that the story you have just shared with us from the Wall Street Journal makes complete sense for the kids who went through soccer, hockey, or baseball to receive a, pers- a participant ribbon and who played all those games without keeping score. Um, because everyone's a winner all the time, that those little snowflakes absolutely need to all be the valedictorian. It's pathetic. The real world is competitive and vicious. And you got to learn that lesson soon about achievement and about being better than the guy beside you, or else you're going to be a squashed bug after school. But I don't think we, I don't, you know, when you use the word vicious, I, I, you're not wrong about real life, but I don't think necessarily choosing a valedictorian, though, helps with showing kids how vicious life can be. What it shows is, you know what, if you really work at something and you succeed, you can be identified as someone who has done well. And I don't think that criticizes the other kids. It just elevates one kid. Sure, but there were other kids who did their utmost to be the valedictorian so they could get into that Ivy League Fair school enough. for that extra push, and they didn't make it. Well, that's life. Too bad. Win some, you lose some. Don, I can tell you that, uh, Don, Ron, um, <laughs> I can tell you that when I was in high school, and I'm not, this is not a point of great pride, especially to my father. Thankfully, he's not listening tonight. He's out right. of the country. Good. Uh, when they announced the Ontario Scholars at my high school, Almost everybody in my class stood up. I think there were three of us left sitting. I was one of them. And my dad, who had been an academic and great in school and a very smart man and did very well in his life, I'm sure he was sitting there thinking, but the truth was I didn't, I was not great in high school. I didn't love high school. No. But I didn't earn that. So why should I have been handed that? I didn't, I didn't get, so I had to live with what I had done. You know what, uh, what, what I think it taught you not at that time because you didn't realize it when you were a high school student, but later on when you started to go into the cruel world, it taught you never get too high, never get too low, and deal with adversity. Because what that did, Scott, in my opinion, knowing you now, it tested your toughness. And that at the time hurt. It probably hurt him more than me. <laughs> but yes, you're well, right. It probably, but you're it right. It probably made him cry. Yeah. But I still think that it had an effect on you. Sure it did. Because I keep saying, don't get too high, don't get too low, and you need some adversity to test your toughness. And it probably made you tougher going into the real world. It also teaches you, as I say, the lesson, though, that you know what? If you want to get something, you have to work for it. Sacrifice, passion, commitment. All those things. All those things. All those things. And, And you didn't know it at the time. No, no. I just knew that I had a great time doing sports and drama and band yeah. and yearbook and everything else yeah. except for studying. Like a lot of kids at university today. <laughs> I mean, they, they live in their residence and they have a lot of fun and so on and so on. But I think they come out of it learning that life afterwards is, is not easy. Lauren, I just, what I don't get about this though, and what, what really just drives me nuts about this is that, it, I mean, it kind of, you touched on it with fits in with, you know, sports now, not wanting to keep score right. and everything else. And you use the word vicious, and I, and I 
I want to come back to that for a second because I don't think that we need to in our school life, in our kids' lives, instill that sense of vicious, cutthroat, real-life stuff that does exist out there in some places. I know that. But this, this to me seems like way below that as a step. This is, it's not about vicious. It's just about the basic lesson that achievement comes at a cost. It really does come with a cost. And you don't always get everything you want. The Stones were right. I went to a high school where um, everybody's marks were posted to everybody. Wow. All the time. It was extremely competitive for no other reason than you didn't want to have a lower mark than the guy beside you. And and in theory, you wanted to have the best mark in the class. Sure. How did that work? Was it effective? Or was it terrifying? For me or for... Anybody. For you and for others. I... Um, I played the game relatively well. I, I did okay. I certainly wasn't uh, the smartest guy, but I was far enough away from being the dumbest guy. But did it, did it motivate you? 100%. Did it? Absolutely. Yeah. It made you um, work harder. Made everybody work harder. So it, uh, was but effective. somebody had to have the crappiest mark. Yeah. It wasn't going to be me. Yeah. And somebody had to have the best mark. Well, and they earned it. Yeah. And this is what, and they earned it, and this is why this kind of thing drives me nuts. Because if you do earn something through your hard work, and again, through staying in on Friday nights and studying and blah, 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 on and on and on, why should you not be rewarded for that? That's right. Here's the other thing that that teaches you. Uh, that person got chosen, but I would suspect that there's 10 other people in that class that thought they should have been chosen. Worse than that. The parents of the 10 other people thought they should have been chosen over the, the chosen valedictorian. Um, short-term pain, probably long-term gain. Number one, uh, I got to work harder. Uh, number two, life's not fair, <laughs> right? Sure. So there's lessons. There's long-term lessons. Think about all those kids who apply for university as valedictorian now. That sounds great. Except that it means nothing because the university now knows, um, oh, if it says valedictorian. Well, thanks to the Wall Street Journal. Well, but, and it's not just one school. Right. Though. Yeah. It's, it's not just one school. Look, we already know that universities, I bet if we had someone on here for Mac from their recruiting or their mm -hmm. acceptance department, admissions department, they, they have lists of what schools. Oh, of course. Which marks, you know, you go to oh. this school and an 80% really of means course. this. Of course. And you yeah. go to this school and an 80% actually means a 90. It's, 80 is not 80 across mm -hmm. the board. No, it isn't. And so valedictorian is not valedictorian across 100%. the board. No, no. Yep. Right. I just, you know, it makes me wonder also, and the story doesn't say this, but it makes me wonder if they've done this with all the other, because every school has the science award, the math award, the... I was just thinking award. the same thing, that the academic awards are, are probably abusive to the non-achievers as well. They probably have to go out the window. My daughter did very, very well in school, and there was a kid, very good friend she of our She has a brilliant family. mother, right? Yes, that's yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there was a kid yeah. who we were very good friends of the family, very smart kid, and every time it came, okay, science award... She was second, Ooh. he was first, and he just kept doing a loop. And she won a couple, but basically he cleaned up, and I'm thinking, is it wrong? That, I mean, look, I would have loved for my daughter to be up there yeah. the whole time. We all would. But is it wrong that he put in that work in that time and won the... No, he he earned those awards. He and the deserved timing those was awards. against her. The timing was against well, her because he was year. in the same class, yeah. right? So she, she learned one thing, the timing was bad. Timing and, hurts, but he also earned it. But timing... You know, the interesting part about that applies to life. 
uh, sometimes you can think of something in our business that's innovative that may be five years ahead of your time. Sure. And so we learn that in business. You know, when, when we did the whistle, uh, the timing was right. But it could have been wrong. It could have been wrong. Or a Ron Foxcroft could have come along three years earlier who had the same or a similar idea. Right. And now you think of it, but it's already done. Bad timing. Did you ever read, have either of you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell, The Outliers? No. It is, anyone who hasn't read it, go read it. It is a fascinating book. Malcolm Gladwell is a brilliant yeah. philosopher, uh, the author, tipping point. tipping point, a lot of different things. And The Outliers is a series of essays, basically, about people who achieved greatness, but was there something else behind that greatness? One example, he talks about the, the early birth years in, in mm-hmm. hockey, that if you look at the NHL and junior hockey, the vast majority of kids who make it are born January, February, March. Sure. Bigger kids. Well, th- when they enter the hockey, the competitive hockey world at f- six or seven, that early, a guy born in January compared to December is a year ahead. Mm-hmm. So you make it because you're bigger, more coordinated. Yeah. But you then you get into the rep hockey, right? And you have a year of more ice time and better coaching. So right. when you go to try out success the next year, breeds more success. You're already yes. in. So he's. He, but the uh, one of the other things, and the reason I bring this up, one of the other reasons, one of the other things he brought up uh, in this thing was Bill Gates, mm. and he wrote about how a guy like Bill Gates arrived exactly at the perfect moment. You're talking about timing, Ron. Yeah, exactly he did. at the perfect moment. Had he been five years earlier. The technology would not have existed mm-hmm. for him to be able to do what he and did. And he would have gone broke. Had he arrived five years later, it yeah. would have been done already. And now he's a genius. He's one of the richest men in the world. He's a genius. He's a yeah. trailblazer. But as you're saying, five years earlier, it could have failed. And a couple of years later, somebody else would yeah. have come along with that idea. So yes, timing matters, but we don't look at a guy like Bill Gates and say, you know what, Bill, because you actually had the benefit of good timing, you don't count, so we're not actually going to let you keep your money or your title or your company or whatever because that's unfair to those who came along behind you. We would never say that. We hold we Bill Gates up as a one of the great men no, of our but time. we do consider everyone's uh, everyone who has success. There's the assumption that the timing was a part of the deal. But do we then say, but we deny you your success then? No, of because, course not. But that's what they're not. doing here. But the, with the valedictorian, they're saying yeah. there are things here, so you can't have that success. Bill Gates, that's fine. So-and-so, that's fine. Ron Foxcroft with the Fox 40 whistle, that's fine. But if you're a valedictorian, mm, there's other people whose feelings might be hurt. Think of the poor guy, Ron. Think of the people that you whose lives you destroyed by inventing the whistle before yeah. they could do it. Mm-hmm. I'm being right. facetious, of course, no, no. but I mean... It's it, true. That's what we're saying with the valedictorian thing here. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, are you, uh, we only have a couple minutes left. Are you sold on the Leafs? After game one, are you sold on the Leafs? Oh, they should cancel the season and Bettman should issue the Stanley Cup to the Leafs. And don't forget, you know, I was back there in 1967 at the last win. Were you there? Na- yeah, I was there. And name my son, who is a referee, after Dave Keon. Dave Foxcroft. He's named after Dave Keon. Yeah, absolutely. Keon Foxcroft? David. <laughs> oh, David thanks. Foxcroft is named after Dave Keon, number 14. Thank goodness Turk Broda had retired by then. Thank goodness. But <laughs> I'll tell you, Dave Keon, 
you know, I wish the kids t- today could see the skill level of a Dave Keon. He was a lot of things. He was a Crosby. He was a Gretzky. He was a Gordie Howe. He was terrific. Leafs got a new goalie today. Yeah. Yeah. They did. So we should just stop the season right now. They're undefeated. Yeah. Perfect season. Yeah. I right. have argued all along, <laughs> argued all along that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to go 82-0. and 0. I for, for most of the game, I was right when I said they would not give up a goal this yeah. year. I yeah. thought, but, you know. You know, Mr. Zamprin, we now know yes. why he has trouble sleeping. He's been a life Leaf fan. I know He's he has. He's never seen a Stanley Cup. I haven't seen never. a Stanley no, Cup. No, you haven't either. I was born six months after their last win. I was there, and if I'm not mistaken, Bobby Bond played the last period with a broken ankle. I think that was that year. I know he did one of the Stanley Cups. I think it may have been that year. I, I can't remember. I think it was number 21, Bobby Bond. Yep. No, it's uh, yeah. it, it, people have been waiting for a little while. Yeah. And I would love to see, I mean, just for the comparison, we saw what happened when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series last oh. year. We saw the outpour in 108 years. I'd love to see what the response in Toronto would be if the I, Leafs. I don't won. think Leafs winning the Stanley Cup is like the Red Sox or Cubs winning. There's there are people like the esteemed gentleman beside me who do remember. Right? It's <laughs> it's. I, I think you're you're pushing it a little bit. Sixty seven is not. Uh, no, I'm not arguing that it's 108 right. years, but I think that the I think the number of people you would see spilling out in the street and the number of people showing up for a parade would be. Very similar to Absolutely. what you would have. Yes, in there's Chicago. a ton of Leaf fans oh. all across the country, We've but the Leafs that. have not been close. No, nope. well, six, a couple, a couple hiccups there, or a couple blips where they, couple you know, of calls, couple call in, in eighty, yeah. uh, no, ninety three, and okay, yeah. but that they never made the final. Even. No, nineteen seventy nine or seventy eight when they played the Islanders, the, Islanders, the year yes. they lost Borea Salming to the skate mm-hmm. to the face, that kind of thing. Yeah, there have been a couple moments, but no, they have not mm. been. They haven't been in the finals since 1967. I haven't even been alive to see them in, alive to see them in the finals. But Scott, a lot of things are different. By the way, I gave up on them. I'm a Sabers fan. Good for you. Yeah, and because well. I, I can't afford to go to a Leafs game. <laughs> I mean, I, if I was uh, a world listened to journalist like Radley, I, I got it right. But I'm not, so I go to the Sabers game, and it's affordable. Well, and but you know the Leafs are doing the right thing the way they're building. Now. Sure they are. They're building. And you know what, Ron? I will. Uh, I just to help you out. I will give you a, a pair of my four pairs of season well, yeah. tickets from the Platinums. Okay. Yeah, that was that was my deal here with CHML. I got eight pair, eight tickets for every yeah. Leaf game in the Platinums. You know the Platinums? They all go down to those fancy suites yes. and they never watch the second or third period. That's true. I'll sit in your seat and I'll <laughs> tell everybody on <laughs> the jumbotron I got this from Radley. Be the seat filler like at the Oscars yeah. when they go to pee. Yeah. I'll right. be happy. To take you guys to a game in my platinum suite. There, okay, we will. Um, <laughs> well, yes, and I do not have uh, do not have platinum seats. I would have to probably sell several of my internal organs to be able yeah. to afford. It is the place to watch a game, though. It, oh, there's no there's, question. You know, one thing I, I need to make this point, and then we'll get off the Leafs. But I asked uh, Johnny Bauer, who's the best defenseman that ever played in front of you, and he surprised me. It was Alan Stanley. Hmm. Yeah. Should have named your other son Alan. Yeah, should have. <laughs> or, or Stanley, you get or the Stanley. cup that way too. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Uh, gentlemen, a lot of stuff still to get to today. Uh, starting with this one, a piece that was in <laughs> yesterday's Spectator about the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board trying seeking advice and input about whether or not video security surveillance cameras are a good idea. In schools, obviously, you know we heard what we know what happened the the scare at Bishop Tonus this week. We had a scare earlier in the week at a elementary school in the city. Other things as well. 
Lauren, I'll go to you first this time. What do you think about the idea of putting surveillance cameras into local schools so that students can be watched at all times for their safety would be the argument? Absolutely. Um, I don't see any problem with it. When you're in a public place, um, people should act as though they're being watched anyways. And I really don't think anybody who's got a whole lot of issues about having outside eyes on them as some sort of privacy infringement thinks a little too highly of themselves. There's not enough eyeballs to watch all of us. And it's got to be a safety thing. You're, like, truly, you, even you, Mr. Foxcroft, and especially me, we're not that interesting that people need to be surveilling us. Yeah. Um, and that whole notion of paranoia on Big Brother watching for safety, if it helps a little bit, then yes. Yes. You know what, Scott? Uh, I'm in the business, trucking business, and we're in the, the safety business at Fox 40, search, rescue, safety, lifeguards. And we're in the safety business at Hamilton International Airport that I'm involved in. And as far as uh, safety, there's no other sacrifice that, that you should put set aside other than for safety. It's the most important mm -hmm. initiative. Now, I would imagine the reason for this is for the safety of youth, the safety of students. That, I would think I that. Would, I, I would never, expect that. I'm sorry. I read the spec. I didn't nope. read that article. And I'm sure there's some very brilliant uh, uh, educational people that, that feel different than I do. But there should never be any, any initiative set aside to sacrifice safety, particularly for our children, for our, our youth. I have absolutely no problem. And that applies in trucking. You know, when the government imposes uh, a law that uh, encourages safety and it costs us more money, what we say is, okay, that's all right. Yeah. See, there's two things, there's two scenarios by which I would be fully okay with this, with putting more cameras in schools. One is that you do not actually have a person sitting in front of a wall of TV cameras or, or monitors all day long. But you wouldn't. Well, I mean, you would hope that would not be the case. You have no. the cameras that are recording onto a hard drive somewhere, so if something happens, we can go back right. and find. I yeah. don't want the day where you've got a group of people in an office watching the kids all the time, because I think that's, imp imp that's an imposition. I do. Yeah. I, I really do. It is. And, it is. And the second part, what was the second part I was going to say? I can't remember what the second well, part well, was. Well, Scott, if your child... Uh, and and your children are grown up. If your child was at that school and was assaulted, and the only evidence they've got is that uh, camera, you would be very thankful for that. Oh, for sure. And the, sorry, the other point I was going to say is, if you had the ability, if something was going on, if they said we have a gun in the school or something, then you could have someone monitoring it. Um, but you know what it would do, Ron, and you bring up a really interesting point. How many times, especially we hear it these days anyway, do you have a parent complaining to a school because something happened that, you know, Johnny hit Jimmy or Jimmy hit Johnny or there was some... Yeah. This, if nothing else, Lauren, it would seem that this would help to alleviate that and help the school, the principals and the teachers not have to deal with all the parental crap because we could resolve it right here. Here it is. Boom. Done. It's over. I, I don't see a downside. Invasion of privacy doesn't mean anything in a public school. That's, that's not an expectation. Now, we're not putting it in the washrooms, no. the change rooms. Like, it's, it's not that kind of weirdness. But do you remember when it was all the rage, probably 10, 12 years ago, they were going to put 
um, cameras on the street corners where they were crime heavy, mm-hmm. and people were like, I, I, "I'm allowed to be on the street without somebody watching my whereabouts." It's not what it's for. No, it's not no. spy cam. It's safety cam. The uh, well, uh, okay. To your point, the concern that people have is that. Yes, it is safety cam, as long as the people who are operating the thing are of fair mind and don't have their own purposes. Now, you know, we have to assume, we have to assume that our government, our school boards, our whoever else have the betterment of the people involved in mind. That's the assumption we make. That's, right. the, that's what we accept as the trade-off for something like this. We believe the school board or the government of the day, whoever, If you don't accept us. that notion, Scott, then homeschool your kid. If you don't trust them enough to right. put them into school and you think there's something nefarious about a camera in the hallway. Uh, Scott, if there's opposition to this, I would have to think that in that article it would be um, privacy and cost, right? I think more the former than the latter, but yes, I'm oh. sure those are both okay. fair cases. Yep. Uh, well, this isn't about privacy and it shouldn't be about cost right. because if, if you're putting in uh, a tool to help keep your children, your students safe, costs shouldn't matter. It but should Ron, be reasonable. The, the Toronto School Board just in the last couple of weeks gassed their uh, school police officer student liaison program because they said this was intimidating and it was bothering the children and it assumed a guilt of the children. Now, whether uh, that's just a... a a politically correct thing, whatever, but they did that. And that was, that was a person who was essentially serving as the human video camera, if you want to call it that, in the schools. And they said, no, that's not acceptable anymore. That would make me feel good if there was a security officer in it the Made school. a lot of people feel good. Yeah. And why did they cancel it? Because it was seen as intimidating to some. It was seen as assumption of guilt. So the the uh, minority, the the minority stood out and said the loud no. majority, loud minority, uh, loud, loud minority stood out and they canceled it. That's a shame. Was it a uniformed police officer? Yes, yes, they have them in Hamilton. Sure, and a number. I don't think they have them at every school in Hamilton. They have them in a number know. of schools. So there in are Hamilton. some people who claim that the very sight of a uniformed police officer m- makes them feel put upon. Intimidated, like yeah. they're being I assumed think we have a city councillor who feels that way, but... Do we? Maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Uh, you know what, Lauren? Uh, for a future Scott Radley show, I'd like to see someone from the educational world uh, come in here and discuss that. It's a very interesting topic, but as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned... I well, would want the, the cameras in my mm-hmm. kid's school. Michael Prendergast is a superintendent with the school board. His quote in the paper was, surveillance in schools is primarily for student safety and staff safety. Mm-hmm. We don't ever want to be seen as policing schools, but it's a deterrent to protect staff, school equipment, and property, essentially. And it would be an interesting thing to have him in. And, I, and you know what? Next week, uh, I'm going to put it on the list. Because the only thing I would take from that quote is, Surveillance in schools is primarily right. for student safety and staff safety. Well, primarily, I don't understand what's, the primarily. what's the secondarily part? Yeah. So yeah, yeah prime. Yes. Yeah, so Lauren, to your point, to Ron's point, right? If it's about saving kids and about keeping the and so that even if it's not just to be able to solve a crime, mm-hmm. Ron, if I'm if you and I are elementary or high school students mm-hmm. and I'm thinking I want to punch you in the head, yeah. But I know there's a camera there. Yeah, you're now, gonna think about it. We may do it out on the street. Sure. <laughs> instead, that, that's but, right. That's but right. But it won't be in the school. And and the other thing I understand some. Uh, because we're not in the education system, no, but sir. there are teachers now at risk 
Yeah, then, yeah. And I, I read about this all the time in, you know, on the web that teachers now, it's common because the world's changed, get assaulted. That's why I love to see someone from the educational world that lives in that world, you know, how I feel. If you want to know something about a truck, you ask the driver, not the owner of the trucking company. I'd like to hear someone from the educational world talk about this because Lauren and I, I think, are on the same page. We, we can speak as way former students and, and parents as students. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's our perspective. And the world has changed, Lauren, since you and I were in school. I, I Big, hope time. So. <laughs> Big time. Big time. Well, I, I would yeah, I say I would hope so. I would yes. hope so. And the other point that comes to me on this one, as just as we're sitting here and Ron, of course, as someone who has, how many games did you ref in basketball? Thousands. Any idea? Thousands. Yeah. You have sons who are now football officials, one they of them are. who is one of the best in the CFL. We know, this is the other point, though, that does give me slight pause. We <laughs> do know that in the CFL, when you have 4K high-definition televisions, you can still have those plays reviewed and be dis- disagreements on what actually happened in what you're seeing on the screen. Now you're bringing up another subject that but could take I'm, on a two-hour show. You need Donnie gonna, Robertson in here. But we're not going to talk about the sports <laughs> side. What I'm saying is even if you have video cameras, if we can look on sports and we have TSN or whoever else doing these games with their equipment, will a TV camera in the school on not as... Uh, from, high end. from the world of vandalism, though, I think it's going to be nice help. and cut sure. and dry that as opposed help. to who's I don't think first. it solves every problem is sure. what I'm saying. I don't think it necessarily is the panacea for everything. I think it could help. It helps. It helps. It, it helps. Help. What would you rather do? If someone breaks into a school and, and tears the school apart, would you rather have a school without a camera, no camera whatsoever, or a camera? i choose the camera. Of course. In a lot of cases, it was it would resolve what's going on. Yeah, I yeah. would I would suggest that it would not be, as I say, the thing that will resolve everything. It's not no, a, it's not a magic no. bullet that every single controversy or thing that happens in a school we will be able to be able to tell by it's this. No perfect world. No, no, there's not. It doesn't say in here that I can tell. Uh, right now, by the way, twenty four of the public school boards, hundred and two schools use parent uh, use cameras right now to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and parents, students, and community are um, have done a public will are doing a public survey to help the board decide where to go from this on public surveillance. That those surveys too will be interesting to see if they will. Yeah, to see if the people think that it's actually a good thing or not. Again, I go back to the public, the student liaison officer. I would have thought that was a good thing. I would have thought most people would have thought that was a good thing. Some people didn't think that was a good thing. So who knows what this will mean. A police officer in a uniform is a deterrent for people to do bad things. And we've, we've had a police officer up at uh, Hamilton Airport. We, we don't now. But it was effective. And, you know, when they set a police car out on the 403 and you see it, you, you stop speeding. Right. The only time I feel... Awkward, less than pleased to see a police officer is when I'm doing something I shouldn't. (laughs) But not everybody feels the same way I do. Some people, I don't understand it. But when I'm speeding, I don't like seeing a cop. (laughs) When I'm doing the speed limit, I think they're great. Exactly. There's one other thing about this. How many times have you driven down a street, a residential street, and you will see someone who has 
some sort of sign or something out front of their house that says this house is protected by yeah even if they don't yeah the deterrent factor of that probably if someone was going to break into a house and the neighbor doesn't have that yeah I don't know if the camera's there. I don't know if the camera's going to catch me, but if I'm going to do something stupid, I'm going to take my better chances and do the neighbor's house rather than taking That's a chance right. on this one. The best thing for me, I walk my dog every night, is, and I see on a, quite a few houses now, beware of vicious dog. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's a deterrent. Yep. <laughs> that's better than a camera. Oh, we used to, uh, for, for a number of years, we had a next door neighbor who was a police officer and he, parked his, he kept his cruiser every night in the driveway. Huh. Kept you safe. We were the safest house in the street. Who's going to break into a house next to a house where there's a police cruiser right there? Right, right. Was it put there to watch you? Were well, you a bad I kid? hadn't considered that at first. <laughs> this was only recently. This was only recently, so maybe. Could have been to watch you, Scott. As the, you the, said, you didn't go to class. Maybe it was. Then again, while that cruiser was parked in the driveway, there was a house across the street working as a grow-up. So maybe it wasn't a perfect <laughs> off, you know, but it did something. Anyway. No one would do that in Hamilton. A grow-up? Yeah. No. No, never. Don't look at me. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Lauren Lieberman, Ron Foxcroft in studio with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. We, we were just talking, you know, we have been talking, the topic of political correctness, of doing the right thing, of, of modern whatever has come up a few times today. How is it possible in a world in a country where we are so sensitive to making sure every political correct I is dotted and T is crossed, and especially with a federal government that is so much about, you know, that Trudeau is about appearance. He's about saying the right thing. And how is it possible that they could open a Holocaust museum and on the plaque forget to mention the Jewish people? I, I look at this and I think I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that they did it intentionally. But when you have people, you have teams of people that would be looking at this stuff. How could this, how could this of all things, possibly be overlooked? I don't know. As a Negev honoree, huh. it uh, troubles me tremendously. Just tremendous. I don't know how that happened. I because no again, idea. I'm not arguing the conspiracy side of things. Lord. No, I'm not no. saying they did it on purpose. But if it's not front of mind, if when you're doing a Holocaust museum, if somewhere someone's not thinking, hey, wait, maybe we should mention the Jews, something's missing. Um, I, I disagree. I think it absolutely was on purpose. There has been significant pushback in the last few years, at least to my years in the last few years, that the Holocaust was so much more than just the Jews. And that's often... And the same conversation is, well, what about the other holocausts you're not speaking of? What about Armenia? And what about what happened in Africa? As if by talking about one, it, it doesn't, in my view, punch the others in the nose. Um, the World War II holocaust was more of a Jewish thing than anything else, but it was not exclusively a Jewish thing. I think that political correctness absolutely eliminated that. So you think it was intentional? 100%. Because if you throw in Jews but leave out gypsies, well, what about the homosexuals? And the Russians were persecuted too. So really, Mr. Trudeau, Mr. Prime Minister, you, you favor the Jews? That, but, then why, but then why would they immediately go back and change it? Why would they relent so because quickly? Because they made a mistake. Because it's stupid. That's why. Because it's clearly a mostly 99.9% <clears throat> Jewish issue. 
See, I, I, it's interesting you say that. I, I had simply taken the position. I, I had not assumed that. My initial thought was just, you know, we get further and further away from this thing and we forget our history. We tend to do that at times. We had a a uh, candidate for election just... We did. ...who didn't yeah. know what Auschwitz was. Yeah, and lost the election. And, you know, not a bad person. No, no. one's arguing she was a bad person. But it would seem like that's kind of one of those basic things. Do you actually things. believe that Alex Johnson didn't know what Auschwitz was? Well, I am I was giving the benefit of the doubt <laughs> based yeah. on what was said. But no, it's so you, well, you've got only two options, oh, Lauren. You've got two options. You either don't know what it was, which is troubling. Or, or you're a liar. Well, or, or you simply, well, that would be the fault. That would be the subsequent to it. Or you simply don't think it's that big a deal that it's worthy of making jokes about. There's only two options. Either you don't mm-hmm. understand what it is or you don't know what it is. Because if you understand it, you don't make jokes Listen, about it. It worked out beautifully for her. She got a free trip to Poland. That's true. Yeah. But I'm looking at this just thinking we clearly either, well, let's go to your point then. We either clearly have decided, we have either clearly begun to forget what it was all about or we've begun to decide that we're going to forget what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Is there a third option? No. I don't know if there's a third option. There there. isn't. And both are kind of troubling. Not kind of, both are troubling to me. They are very troubling. And so if, let's, just for a second, Lauren, let's just assume the the lesser offensive idea that they simply overlooked it. How do the people who run our government with something that they put, how many millions of dollars into this, and it comes down to the plaque, how do you overlook the most obvious part? That I don't understand, which suggests... Same kind of thing. You've forgotten your history. If we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, people who should be making good decisions have just completely forgotten history. Or there's the alternative. Deliberate. Deliberate. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking by my guns. Yeah. You know, considering, again, considering how we have to tiptoe around so many things and say all the right things or heaven knows social media and everyone else is going to jump on your head and dance on your brains for not being correct. This just seems, if it's deliberate, it seems like it's a weird one to be deliberate about. And social media jumped all over this, Scott. They did. Yeah. They did. And, and what was the consensus? Deliberate well, or I don't know mistake? what the consensus oh, was. Oh, I see. Because the government okay. immediately said, we're going to change we're this. We're going to fix it. Yeah, oops. So then, then the perception, the optics are we made a mistake. Exactly. But if we made a mistake, does that not mean if our government, if the people who should know history, I would think as well as anyone, if our people doing the government don't know this, maybe we should be ratcheting up the teaching of this kind of thing in school more so that we don't forget it because maybe we've reached a point where people are starting to forget what this is all about, which is dangerous. And our education system has a giant growing overtone of there are atrocities all over the world. All we do is talk about the Jewish one. There's huge pushback, especially as our school and our public school changes with our new immigration patterns. They don't want to hear about that anymore. It's a universal lesson that was specifically taught upon to the Jews, but it is a universal lesson for everybody. Well, and it's not like it happened once and, and I don't want to, you know, we don't, we're not going to spend the next half hour just on this, but it's not like somehow this happened once and now everything's hunky-dory with the Jewish state in the world. 
I mean, yeah. we've, we've got yeah. a, an American president right now trying to undo an Iranian agreement so that they yeah. don't end up lobbing nuclear bombs at, at Israel as soon as Iran gets one ready. This is an ongoing thing. And again, this to me explains why you can have the Palestine discussion, you can have all the other stuff, sure. but it explains to me why this, it's, it's, it's shocking to me that this particular piece of history would either be forgotten or overlooked intentionally. Either way. It's just shocking to me that this would happen. And good for David Sweet, local MP, for bringing this up and calling them on it in the House of Commons and leading to it being changed. Good biggest, for him. Biggest friend of Israel in the House of Commons, that David Sweet. There's no question. Yep. Yeah. I, I, something has just gone askew. That's the problem yeah. with this. And I don't know if, I, again, I don't know if we're just not knowing. I don't know if, we, I, I would love, you know, and Ron, you keep saying, let's go ask the truck driver when you're talking about the teachers. Sure. What are we teaching then our kids in school now about this? My kids are out of high school now. My kids are out of elementary school now. But what, what, are, what are our kids leaving school knowing about this part of history? Is it that six million Jews were killed or is it, well, a lot of people were hurt? Mm. I don't know. Anyway, I just, um, that one baffled me this week because, again, we have a, 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 we are in a country that is so particular about the right wording. And if you say something even a little bit off that could be construed as a little bit offensive, mm-hmm. you are going to get shredded. And this seemed like it was such an obvious one. It was. And You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. The, now, it's not like the state of California has never uh, done anything a little bit on the edge. But uh, they are now pondering whether or not to put a full ban on internal combustion engines for cars that you will only be able to drive electric cars in the state of California. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh. First of all, leaving. A, would you ever want to drive a fully electric car? A lot of my friends are doing that. You mean fully electric? Fully electric. Well, no the, gas is at the, all. Is the Tesla... Fully, is that considered... Mm-hmm. Is fully? it fully electric yeah. Yeah. Tesla? Okay. Yeah, and it's getting rave reviews. So I really can't answer that because I don't know. Uh, a lot of my friends have the Tesla, and they love it. They really love it. But they're not driving long distances. Actually. No, no, exactly. Right. They're driving from here to Toronto. So, Which would be probably about the extent of what you would, in rush hour especially, what you might get out of an electric car I right don't now, know. I, think. I don't know. Apparently, they're inventing these new batteries that uh, take you... Unlimited miles. You can go from uh, here to that Florida. Is, that is future technology. Yeah. It's not, you can maybe count on four hours of proper movement. Um, and then you got to pull over, get a hotel, and, and reduce. Right. Charge it. It, it doesn't take. <laughs> it's true. No, it takes hours and hours. I know it it's, does. It's, and not like a meal's worth, like a sleep's worth yeah. of time to. Yeah. But assuming the right. technology catches up, is this something that we would be happy with? I want to go through a few of the things in cars here, but is this, Lauren, is this something you'd be happy with if we were all just driving electric cars? Do you have any problem with it? Uh, if if the technology was suitable for everybody's lifestyle and we didn't have to pay Tesla prices. Well, see, that's the next part, though, that you, yeah. if they make you have to buy electric cars, the electric car makers, you know, are going to be looking going, well, right. ka-ching, right. ka-ching. But Anything's possible. Anything's possible. And, and I'll tell you, it's... Um, uh, never say never because, you know, I'm in the trucking business, and if I had 150 tractors that were strictly electrical, the technology had advanced to the point where it, it was working, um, 
Yeah, I would look at that. But that honestly. would be your choice. Yeah, that you would, would be want, my choice. You would want it to no, be your I don't, decision. No, I don't want it imposed on that's me. That's what they're talking about. Oh, that's wrong. No, you shouldn't impose that. I think that's wrong. But uh, if, if it's our choice, then and the technology reaches the point where they've perfected it, We'd certainly look at it. It'd be a long time for, it will for be. trucking. It will be for trucking. There's no yeah. question. But I'd certainly look at it. All your trucks are diesel, yes? Everyone. Right. Yeah. And if the government came in, a more realistic argument for right. for fluke would right. be if the government decided diesel is too dirty and they all need to be natural gas. Right. Right. And you've got to do that and it's the law and it's on your dime to convert them all. Yeah, that's tough. Mm. That's really tough. They did that to us, Lauren. I don't mind talking about this, but uh, a couple of years ago, they increased the cost of truck license plates by 87%. What goes up in life 87%? And that, Hydro bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. Uh, and, and that really has hurt sure, the industry. Of course. And it's devastated some trucking companies where they've simply closed. So, yes, uh, the example you just gave where they said you have to convert everything to a diesel, to a natural gas, mm -hmm. um, that would be devastating. You, but it's you just, better for the environment. It's better for the environment. But to do 150 tractors would put you out of business. So of now you lose 150 drivers yep. and employment. But here's the thing. that if Ron, you talk about imposing. If a company, if they were to, if the technology advances far enough, we know that people will buy, will pay good money if they want to get it. If the yeah. technology is there. We talked about iPhones the other day here and, and other smartphones. Yeah. The iPhone X is coming out. It's $1,200. You know what? People are lining up for that. No one has said you must buy an iPhone. Right. No. If people, if you put something out there that people want, right. they will choose to buy it and will spend the money to no get question. it. No question. For California or for anyone else, because, you know, someone else will follow this along and say, yeah, you must all be in electric cars. No, uh, make the product so good that people want to buy them and people will buy them and they'll weed out the, it, uh, the, the number of gas cars will go way down. California yeah. is the place to say something like this. Yes, and it's a course. far cry about from talking <laughs> about it to doing it. Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. But so. it's, again, I come back to the idea that. If you want something to be done, if you want people to move one direction or another in technology, make the technology appealing, make it really good, Sure. and everybody will jump on board. 20 years ago, who had a smartphone? Black, when BlackBerry first came out, that was... Yeah, that was it. But it was only for business people and people who really were... And, and, and now I go through security at the airport, and the security guard says to me, that's obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> because I've that, got that's that. an old phone. That's an old phone. It's a BlackBerry. But this is a BlackBerry, but it's, yeah, it's three generations. Uh, exactly. But, Scott, why are they doing this? Strictly one reason? Pollution. The environment. Yeah. The environment. The environment. Right. Yeah. Although, again, I, you know, are, is, is it um, whenever it's politics involved, who are the lobbyists and who's, you know, sure. I'd love to see who all the people, how many of the electric car companies or whatever are. Yeah. Yeah, are exactly. funding, but nonetheless, let's just let's just give them the benefit of the doubt as we've tried to throughout the show today. Let's sure. say it's just, in, but still, if you want people to do this and you want people to be happy about it, and you want people to jump on board with your program, sure. rather than force them to do it, say, look at what you can get. Exactly, you save gas money. The cars are the same price or less. Look at what you're not having to pay in fossil fuels. Everyone will line up to get one of these they things. They will, if the technology is there. Now, obviously, what's going to happen with the major car manufacturers, they're going to make both. Sure. Right? So they're not going to get put out of business. 
They're too smart for that. And I say, that's great. That's great. You know what drives you? Uh, and, and it's a good thing. I love competition because it makes you better. I love it when someone tries to better our products. And I love choice, right? Yeah. Uh, that comes from your competition. Yeah. To, yeah, absolute choice. So if we started our own car manufacturing, we'd make both, wouldn't we, Lauren? I, absolutely, but... But I don't want it imposed on me by a government. We were not going to make an electric car until the technology's there. Uh, no question. I don't, I don't want into the market uh, with but one toe I, in the I don't think this is going to go, and I'll tell you why. Uh, California, what are the politicians concerned about the most? Not the environment, not votes. fossil fuels. Votes. Yes. Votes. <laughs> Let's call it the way it is. You know, you're talking about political correctness. I don't want to talk about political correctness. If this is going to cause these politicians to be voted out, they'll, it's they'll, not going they'll in. They'll abandon it. Exactly. And I don't care whether the technology is there or right. whether the environment is there or whether whatever the reason they're concerned. We see it all the time in, in you know, what, what happens the year of an election. Anywhere in the world, the government comes in and they're Santa Claus. They give to this and they give to that, and hopefully they give to the masses where they get the most votes. Hundred percent. So this is about votes, Scott, and that's that's what's going to kill it. So we've got electric cars. The other thing that we've been reading a lot about recently that we've been hearing about, and and it's starting. What about driverless cars? Would you ever want to be in a driverless car? It scares me to death. It really does. Uh, I, Lauren, I. I've been following this saga of driverless cars, and quite frankly, it does scare me to death. I don't know very much about the technology, but it's going forward. It is. Sure it is. But I'll tell you, to have one of our tractor trailers out there with a driverless driver, number one, the other concern that I'm, I'm really concerned about in our industry, I don't want to see 150 of our drivers put out of work. That's yeah. That's like a whole second part of it. But yes, one hundred percent. That really scares me because now we have one hundred and fifty. We have one hundred and fifty tractors, and we have one hundred and fifty drivers on social assistance. More than that, every one of our drivers has a family. So if you take a hundred times a family of four, you've got four hundred people on social assistance. I don't know if the technology is there. Obviously, it's going forward, and somebody in the car dealership business in Hamilton said to me that in five years, uh, 30% of the cars sold are going to be electric and driverless. First of all, leaving aside your drivers, and you have a valid point about them and their yeah. livelihoods, yeah. I do not really love the idea of being cruising along the highway and looking up and seeing a transport truck with nobody behind the wheel. Right. All right, let's, that's the first thing. Forget, a, yeah. forget a smart car. I don't want to see a smart car driving with no one behind the wheel, but especially a transport truck carrying a load of flammable or toxic fluid or something. Second thing is, I know just today I was working on my computer at work and my computer froze. Mm. What if the car freezes? What if the car computer the freezes? Right. Sure. Right, and I've got I a mean, great computer at work. I've got the, they've set me up with a really great computer, and it still froze. Now all of a sudden, it, I have a little. There's a lightning bolt in the sky because it's not great weather, and we get a yeah. zap, and the car go, goes haywire. Like I, I maybe they're going to say the computers are way, way, way better than that. Well, it doesn't really comfort me. That, that's another question, Lauren. Didn't you like the days when we used to talk to people? You'd phone somebody. And I, now I miss it. Everybody twitters and facebooks and. 
emails. I do enjoy a good text message now and then, but yeah, a, a conversation is, is always preferred. Um, we're not going to live long enough to experience the Jetsons. Keep going. I'll just do I, the background yeah. music. It's, it's, it's not going to... This, this notion of driverless cars uh, got a little bit of traction during the LRT debate. It did. Right? Again, show me the city where it is safely working for a long time, and then I'll get on board. The the picture they always show, the image or the, the, the is always the person sitting in their driverless car, reclining on a luxurious, rich Corinthian sure. leather seat, mm-hmm. with next to Ricardo Montalban reading a book on their way home in the traffic jam. I I, yeah. I just I don't see that as being uh, our future. Is the LRT train going to be driverless? It is, is that? not. It oh, will have okay. a driver. That's part good. of it. A good unionized driver with the HSR union, most importantly. Right. That's what we need. I just... <laughs> no, I... Uh, <laughs> the idea, again, of a driverless vehicle... Terrible. It's a terrible. When someone walks across... When a kid runs out to chase their ball from... Their yeah. driveway that, and you know, it says, well, it'll stop. It has sensors and everything else. If that's my kid, Terrible. I, I'm Scott, terrified of that. Let's get someone that is proposing this in California on the Scott Radley show. I think they are uh, mostly hanging out in uh, longhouses, smoking funky stuff the times that we're on the air. <laughs> and, but they consider that though, Scott, your driverless car will never be impaired. Well, see, that's what, true. What I want to know is if you own a driverless car and you're 16 years old, do you have to get your license? <laughs> do you ever have? Will we ever have to have driver's licenses again? Will we be able to get into our car, load it up, just go out and have 47 beers, and then get into your car? Is there no such thing as impaired driving? I, I, I'm a dinosaur. I still use cabs, not Uber. I don't want to. I don't want a driverless car. No, thank you. I actually no. like driving. That's the other problem. Yeah, me too. I like driving it's the only most time, of the time. It's the only time, Scott, we get peace this tr- from our computer <laughs> no, and it's all true. our electronics. It's the only time. I love driving. You know, the best time of the day is when I drive to work. It takes me 20 minutes. And I listen to r- repeats the of the, of the, the Scott Newsreel. Radley. Yeah, the Niels, or, or the repeat of the Scott Radley show. And it's a great time. It's a great time. I love it. I love it. Don't take that away. Well, but you can, California. as I say, you can, you can recline and have a nap and there'll be computerized robots feeding you warm drinks no, and cool Lauren beverages. No, and I are not moving to California. Nope. We refuse. Nope. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.